Hey, it's me, your host, Meg Lewis. Welcome back to Overtime Dribbles Weekly Podcast, where I give you design things and more to help you make better things. Booby doop bop bow. This week on Overtime, the new logo for the 2028 Los Angeles Olympics comes out and designers are not happy about it. Ooh, plus is new bookmarking app, My Mind. Oh, my mind. I can't do a Borat voice because I'm so very the opposite of Borat. Anyway, is my mind really an extension of your mind or is it just adding more noise to the product landscape? Ooh, ooh, and our buddy Kirk Wallace hops on in to talk about how varied and unique inspiration actually leads to the most interesting work. You ready? Let's go. Good design work should clearly communicate a message. The same is true for good designers. So why present flat, lifeless product ideas? Put an interactive prototype in the hands of your manager, client, or CEO, and watch their eyes light up as they buy into your vision. Framer is your secret weapon. Start from scratch or import work from another design tool, drag and drop powerful interactive components, set up transitions, and create your own stunning animations, all without code. It's rich, realistic prototyping made easy. So sign up for free or get 20% off any paid plan by visiting framer.com slash overtime. That's framer.com slash overtime. Okay, did you see the new 2028 Los Angeles Olympics logo? Because I didn't. And luckily, somebody DM'd me and they were like, hey, Meg, you really should talk about this on the podcast because apparently designers are upset about it and bickering about it and having a lot of discussions. Okay, so the way that this logo works is it's coming up in eight short years, the 2028 Olympics in Los Angeles. And they released the logo for it just a few days ago. And it says LA really big in the logo, of course. And the A in LA has been designed by 28 because 2028 Olympics, 28 different individuals that are representing Los Angeles culture. So you get like musicians like Billie Eilish has designed one of the A's, uh, Reese Witherspoon, And then you have a streetwear designer, a tattoo artist, uh, and of course they've injected with some Olympic athletes that have designed A's like Chloe Kim and Gabby Douglas, Paralympians like Lex Glett and Scout Bassett. And of course, like actual artists like Steve Harrington is in there. So the critique is that, of course, as you can imagine what the critique from designers is, is there's, they're featuring non-designers designing. Um, so n- non-designers with definite prominence that are clearly successful enough on their own that are stealing our work. So you knew this critique was coming. Uh, go look at the logo. Go look at the project. Go see all of those A's together. I mean, thinking about it, if you you were trying to imagine what in the world Billie Eilish or Reese Witherspoon would have to add to the design landscape, you're about to find out. <laughs> And I, uh, you know, I'm an optimist. I can't help myself. It doesn't look as bad as I thought it would. Like the Billie Eilish A actually looks like Billie Eilish probably figured out how to design it herself and did that, which is great. Good for you, Billie. It doesn't look that bad. It's it, But it does definitely look like a non-designer made it. But then if you look at ones like some of them, like Gabby Douglas, who's an Olympic gymnast, Gabby's looks like she definitely paid 
a professional to do hers. It's mostly illustrative and it it's it features it's good. It's really good. So, you know, I think the critique makes sense. I understand it and I think that it's valid and true. And it's always scary whenever non-designers are being hired to design. <laughs> especially if they're successful people in general. And, you know, we're all just struggling to make it work as designers, especially during this tough year. I get it. And if somebody that's not a designer is getting paid a lot to design and they already have a lot of money, mm, yeah, that's iffy. But I also know that throughout my career, as because I'm a freelancer and always have been, there are many times where it becomes very... Uh, prevalent, the fear of everybody's better than me, or I have so much competition, or how dare they pay this person to do this when they could have paid me to do it. And it's very easy as a designer, as somebody who's self-employed, fighting, fighting for yourself to slide into those moments of fear where you are scared that, you know, you're not going to get any more work. And I think what I've learned throughout my career is that that mindset is so damaging because when you let the fear take over and the way that it even prevents you from doing work and taking action, I know a lot of people that tried to freelance, but they got too scared. The fear took over and it prevented them from working at all because they thought, they wouldn't get hired. They thought, where will the next project come from? And so then they stopped fighting for themselves because the fear took over and it prevented them from being able to fight for themselves. And you kind of have to let, what I've learned is you have to let the fear drive you and push you harder. So I find that whenever things are going bad for me, I'm not getting work like right now. Um, <laughs> or, you know, I, I lose projects. I let that fear, it's because the fear is there for sure. I let that push me. Every time I lose a, a job, it, I let it push me harder to do the things that are the most fulfilling to me. But that's not to say that the people making the critique about this Olympics logo are wrong in any way, or I'm saying that you're just being fearful. How dare you? Absolutely not. This isn't just a yes or no, good or bad logo design. This is a complex conversation inside of a huge, important, impactful logo design project. I think strategy-wise, having a number of people representing the Los Angeles community or culture contributing to a brand design project is beautiful. But it's not beautiful that extremely prominent, very successful people that have plenty of fame and success are taking jobs from people that could otherwise be doing it and, you know, uh, be able to pay their bills. I So the, it's a complex issue and it's okay to have nuanced opinions and thought about it and to have a little bit of thought that's like, yes, there is good here, there is bad here, and that's okay. I, I definitely don't, you know, I'm not scared about actors stealing my job as a designer. Um, <laughs> I think it's going to be okay. I think there's room for everyone to succeed. If you as a creative person can just find the niche and the specific service or style or offering that you can offer the world that no other human can, then there's room for you to succeed and to grow and to have your own little slice 
in the community. And I think if we all just work really hard to figure out what that is for ourselves, then every, every, there is truly room for everyone. So that's a little bit of my nuanced critique of this LA Olympics logo. Have you heard about my mind yet? (laughs) This is not an ad. (laughs) I'm just going to review a product that I got a beta invite to, and I want to talk about it. I don't believe I received a beta invite because I host this podcast. I did not receive anything for free. Um, I joined the wait list and I had to wait a long time and then I got let in. Who knows why I got let in? Was it a special favor? I don't know, but I don't think so because I had to wait quite a while. (laughs) So anyway, just want to prove to you that this is not sponsored. Anyway, my mind is basically a bookmarking tool that is supposedly an extension of your mind, which really roped me in with the description because I'm definitely one of those people where I have a chaotic brain with all of my to-dos just sort of circling around in my brain all of the time. And all of the things I'm trying to remember are just swimming around up there. And it's very exhausting. And I dislike it greatly. So my mind, basically what it's really like is imagine taking the concept of bookmarking, but there's an AI component. So whenever you bookmark something, it automatically reads the information and archives the information and creates tags for you. So that way you can go to the top of it and search for things like recipe and it'll show you all the recipes automatically without you having to do anything else. And then you could search for like boots and it would show you all the boots you've you've saved. And then you could search for blue boots. Yes, I do have blue boots actually. And then it would just show you the blue boots that you saved. And that's pretty cool. You could search for brand names or for the name of the product, whatever. And what I think is nice for me as a visual thinker is that it's all visual. So it looks more similar to Pinterest in that the visual image, the screenshot of the website or article that you saved is what's at the forefront. And then the taggable information is hidden behind that extended a layer. So I think that's pretty cool. And then you can add your own tags. So for me, I'm now using my mind to plan overtime episodes. So as I'm casually searching for news stories throughout the week, I will save them to my mind. And then um, then I'll tag it with overtime, maybe an episode date, that kind of thing. And it's really helpful for me for that. So it's an extension of your brain, meaning that for me, it's all of the things that are swirling around in my brain all the freaking time that I can now put somewhere and free my actual human brain from having to hold on to that thing. And I'm really excited about it. I've only been using it for a few days, so I don't have an end all review yet. I'm still on the free trial. And just so you know, you, you there is a free trial period, but then you have to pay for it. And the pay plans are reasonable. It's $5.99 or $9.99 a month at the moment. So it's not so bad. I likely will continue to pay for it. It's important to also know that this product was created by a designer, uh, Tobias Van Schneider, who is a polarizing person on the internet. You know, I'm a part of design Twitter and that I'm a designer who's on Twitter. But if you're if we're talking about the official quote unquote design Twitter that people tend to talk about a lot, I don't think I'm really a part of that because I'm not a man, a white man that has strong opinions on design. 
And I think that's the stereotypical what people are speaking about when they critique design Twitter. I think it's up to us if we want to redefine what that means. And I gladly accept that challenge. Um, But Tobias is one of those people that's like one of the captains of that world. And so because of that, very polarizing. A lot of people love Tobias or hate Tobias. And it's a whole it's a whole lifestyle (laughs) that I'm not a part of. So I want to call that out. I don't really engage in those discussions because I don't care about any of them. And I don't know what anybody's ever talking about. But it's important to know that this product was created by Tobias. So I will just leave that information there, let you do what you will with it. I really don't have an informed take on that because I don't know what's going on or what anyone's talking about. So anyway, if you're interested in checking out my mind, they're still in the beta, so you have to sign up for the waitlist like I did, but go to mymind.com and check it, check it out. Hmm, if we are all as creatives looking at similar inspiration or part of similar lifestyles and following the same people on the internet and sort of a part of a culture together, which is quite cute, but does that mean that we end up making work that looks quite similar? And should we actually mm, start elevating the parts of us that make us different from other people? You know, I think so. But here with me today is someone who has opinions on this, plus a lot more. It's illustrator Kirk Wallace. Hiya, Kirk. Welcome. How are you? Are you doing? Are you, you're still alive. That's a good sign. I'm here. I'm good. I'm happy. Uh, and I appreciate you having me. Excellent. Thanks for being here. Let's start by having you quickly just kind of give us an intro and describe what you do. Sure. Naturally, I'm a designer and illustrator, but um, I think more specifically, uh, and maybe a little more interestingly, I guess I'm a commercial illustrator. First and foremost, I've been focusing a lot the last few years um, on brand illustration and trying to sort of fuse my background in computer science and like my very cleanly organized self with the more, I guess you call creative self and trying to take a better role um, with brands and really be in charge and start kind of helping these brands define the way they want to look and why they want to look the way that they do. And so I've been focusing on that the last two years or so. And I think a lot of my stuff is really character driven and sort of whimsical and playful. Definitely. And you cross a lot of boundaries. I think I'm always interested in talking about labels and what we call ourselves as creative people. But I think you've done a really nice job of just taking charge of what you're good at and calling yourself a bunch of different things and providing a bunch of different services. But you also you have a computer science background and you have a degree in computer science And so I'm interested because I know that you try to work that in as much as possible, but how the heck do you utilize a degree in computer science when it comes to making illustrations for a living? Yeah, I graduated computer science. You know, you're like 12 years old when they tell you what you're supposed to do for the rest of your life. And you're like, I guess computers are going to be the next big thing. You know, I was born in 88. So like that puts you in the spectrum of where I was at when I was in eighth grade into high school and then college. And so computers were cool. I like them. I like robotics. I like making things, you know, tinkering with stuff. And I thought that would be neat. Um, when I graduated, I very quickly realized like I ended up taking like a, a web development course and that web development course spun into like web design. And then I was like, oh, shoot, that's what I wanted to do. Like I like making things look nice. I like organizing like the cereal boxes when we go grocery shopping with my mom when I was little. Like I like making things look nice. So I switched pretty quickly as soon as I graduated and became like, a, I guess I thought, I think I knew graphic design. I didn't even know illustration was a thing yet. 
But I think because I spent so much of my life um, infatuated with computers and with tech and with, and, and I think even more than computers and tech, it's just like, I like philosophy and logic and I like breaking things down into like understandable chunks and solving problems in really pragmatic approaches. So it sort of just like is a very much like an undertone. It's just sort of like the structural foundation of the way that I think. So more practically, you know, computers never get in the way for me. Like I know a lot of, I teach sometimes and I know a lot of students or even just people in general in illustration are, are like, I don't know how to use a computer. I don't do computers well. I don't know how to zip things. I don't know how to do this and anything. I think it's very important to realize that any tool that you have, and for me, I chose a computer as my tool as a digital illustrator. It never should get in the way. It should always work for you whenever there's something that's taking a lot of time, whether it's exporting files or whatever. I realize you can automate these things um, and just making sure the workflows feel really good. So I think that's the most practical way in which it comes across. I think a lot of, especially people that are less confident and or earlier in their career, we have this notion of what it means to be an illustrator, what it means to be a designer. And I feel like we're all trying to figure out how to do it the right way. And we all think we're not doing it the right way. So we have to adopt very specific tools or, you know, process or like people get really fixated on how they're creating things. And I really like what you said about whatever tool you have is the best tool. And I think about that a lot because I think that attitude of saying, no, whatever works for your brain as long as the output is great, like as long as you're able to get the output that you want to have, I think you should be able to use whatever process and whatever tools you you are most comfortable with to get there, which I think is a great concept. And I think you are doing a really awesome job of advocating for that, but also creating a unique career and offerings that you can give to the world that are specifically related to the way that your brain works. And that's fascinating because you're redefining what a lot of these traditional job descriptions can possibly mean on top of process also just yeah the mentality of like i came into illustration like way from like a a side angle not really knowing how to do it i just knew i wanted to make things that looked interesting you know i i eventually went back and got my mfa in illustration later just sort of as like a a way to feel legitimized but i think that my like really crooked way coming into the industry was really beneficial because I think if I went to art school, so many teachers would have told me like, what do you, you have so many tangents and like, you have no idea how your value structures are built. And like, you don't know what you're doing in so many ways. And I think like most really great stories of success for like big business people or whatever, um, or people that have overcome a big feat, they often have like some semblance of ignorance or, or not really knowing what they're doing or not understanding like what the, the task they're really trying to achieve is and how much of a pipe dream it is. So by coming into it at such a crooked angle, uh, I think I was able to sort of subvert a lot of what people would have expected. Um, and also just like from a confidence standpoint, I think way too many people would have said, you need to get really good at charcoal or you need to get really good at painting or whatever. And I would have been turned away from it. And I would have said, I'm not good at art and realizing that instead, you know, you can figure out what you want to make and what kind of visual language you want to operate in and what stories you want to tell. And then you can always go back, I think actually retroactively learning some of the rules and stuff. Absolutely. And I think we all kind of like, I think, again, fitting into labels, I think a lot of creatives kind of feel like they need to fall into the role of a persona of what a designer traditionally is, for example, of like, I'm trying to think of a generalized what a designer is, that is, what are they inspired by? And it'd be like somebody who's like traveling to Japan or Iceland, if it's 
2014. <laughs> I don't, nobody's <laughs> yeah, traveling now. Uh, <laughs> my references are all very outdated. Yeah, I'm a I'm a beer loving, you know, uh, father designer that you know loves handcrafted coffee and like oh my yes. god, live on Got coffee it. and that's all. You know, I very rarely will I try to be negative about any of that, but I have this really strong urge to reject. And in many ways, I think it's a fault of mine, but I get, I'm very snobby when it comes to um, maybe trends or what I see a lot of people doing. And I just, I try to reject. And I think more than reject, I try to subvert and surprise um, when everyone's doing something. How can I, how can I follow that and learn from it, but also subvert it, flip it, change it and try to kind of reappropriate it or, or, or co-opt it and break it. And the more you can break, the more interesting. So yeah, to your point, I mean, it's just gets so vanilla, right? When it's just, and you start, you know, you're like combing off the top of everything and even for references and resources and inspiration, uh, you know, you yeah. think like, Oh, like I'm getting these cool random things from manhole covers or, or from, you know, lettering on an old sign. And again, fine. It's all fine, but it's just not what I like because, it just also gets a little bit insufferable, right? Like we designers can be very insufferable in many, many ways. And then the illustrators as well as we use them interchangeably. But I just am trying to always be uh, as happy with myself as I can be. And that usually, yeah, challenging yourself is always more important than like not doing what other people are doing, but just being like, is this what I want to be doing? Yes. Well, I mean, if we're all inspired by the same thing and we're all trying to fit this mold of what a creative person is, then that means we're all going to have the same inspiration, which just means we all end up making work that looks the same. So it seems very obvious, although I know this is a hard thing for most people to get through, is if you could just utilize your niche interests and bring that into your creative work, then that's how you can create things for the world that no one else really can, because you're taking all these interests that combined only you have. And so I think the world would be so much more beautiful and varied visually if we could all do that. But I think that that's the hard work, right, is, is to feel comfortable and safe enough for you to publicly show what those interests are. Yeah, we all have like a visual markup or makeup of DNA and just the things that we like. Like we have so much inspiration from whether you start at 18 or you start at 40 or 50 or 60, we have everything we need for inspiration. You just have to look backward or look inward. And that doesn't mean you don't take in new things, but the last thing you need to do is to go on, you know, top 10 designers.com and figure out what they're doing. And, and but I also, you know, I, I also understand that that's really valuable to a lot of people to a certain extent. Like I think for me, I, I started my career just copying people. Like I copied everybody as much as I could. And I learned just the language and figuring out the basics. But as soon as I could, I knew that everything was going to end up coming through a lens of design through illustration. And I knew that that was like a fail safe. Like I know everything is going to like, I know I'm going to use white space. I know I'm going to do these things. I know I'm going to have good typographical layouts. So now if I can push away from that as much as I can, it's going to make things, yeah, a more interesting DNA, a more interesting visual product, and a more unique thing too. And if you can take all those things, make unique things for big brands, you know, when you're working with McDonald's or Facebook or these brands of like that really could use a push into getting a little bit more unique and interesting, unexpected is always the best way to go. And if you can push that into your career, it's always a win, right? So in your mind, when we have this argument of, should I be a generalist or a specialist? 
what do you, what is your opinion on that? Well, I think you can do anything anytime, of course, but I think choosing a lane at a certain point is probably good. I think for me, and I can only speak on my own behalf, of course, for myself, I think I'm probably, I specialize in a style and probably a, a, a thought, you know, like I specialize in the way that my brain works. That's all that I can do. And so I probably am style specific. I don't have, a, I'm not a generalist in the sense that I can do, you know, oil and I can do pen and ink and stuff like that. I do what I do and I do it well. And I was thinking about this earlier, like my process kind of stays the same. What, what ends up outcoming is generally the same. My color palette's typically stay in a similar world i typically use adobe illustrator and go into photoshop i'm not the type that's like i'm going to do you know some clay today and i'm going to you know scratch on walls tomorrow that process kind of stays the same but i do get really general um when it comes to just what my offline life looks like so i try to mix that stuff up as much as i can like i want my month to month my brain to be different i want to be into a certain type of show this week and a certain type of music another month. And uh, I want to be really into a different decade of art in another. And like, that's the thing that I think I really try to vary a ton. Um, and, and again, more practically, I think I generalize from industry and I think that my style is specific and that style can be applied to certain tech companies or certain kid companies or certain food companies or certain anything, but I wouldn't personally ever want to be only in kid stuff or only in tech. I want to be in the style that I really enjoy in the moment and let that be good for the specifics. Well, I think you said it perfectly in that you said that you're a specialist in that it's your brain is your brain. So that's yeah. your specialty. I remember there's, I may have mentioned this on this podcast before, but one of my favorite most inspiring things I've ever heard in my career was this, I think it was like a 2010 TED talk from Taika Waititi, who's a director director who did like, trying to think of what most people know, like Thor Ragnarok, which is the only one of his films I haven't seen. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jojo Rabbit, Hunt for the Wilder People, which is one of my favorite films. Um, but anyway, he said this wonderful thing during this TED talk where he said that he was kind of at the beginning of his direct director career at the time when he did this talk, but he said that he doesn't really think of himself as necessarily a director or a writer or a producer or an artist or a comedian. He thinks of his career as his brain. So whatever he needs to do in order to get the ideas out of his brain, he will become whatever he needs to become in order to do that. And that's kind of the philosophy that I've taken with my career. And I definitely heard it in what you were saying is, that's the greatest specialty we have is our brains because they are chemically different than anybody else's brain. So I think if we can just figure out what the heck that is, which I guess is the hard part, <laughs> then we can create something for the world that nobody else can. Like you've said on the internet and many times past and, you know, even like, you know, the, the ebook that you put out and just those things of like, if you can document that and start writing those things down and become a little bit more confident in them, you get to lean on them more and always be changing. Sure. But yeah, just like writing down what these things that you start or listening to other people's like perspective on you and see people say, oh, Kirk, your work is really whatever. It's really colorful or it has a lot of really cool detail or you can see a story in the characters. I think listening to those people um, and just sort of getting a little introspective about that helps you understand because it's hard to look inward and be like, this is what I'm good at. But if you can kind of listen to what other people think, you can sort of make those decisions a little bit as well. But also, like we said earlier on in our intro, just like 
surrendering and just doing what feels right and what you're enjoying. But I don't know that I say that, but then it's like, I know there's so many people that are doing that and not getting a career. It's really tough. It's like, you have to do all these things possibly maybe, and you have to get super lucky and I'm not really happy with my career. Like on top of that, all you know, it's like I'm happy yes. where I'm at. I'm so fortunate, but I'm like also I'm not completely fulfilled. So it's like I don't know what to do. <laughs> but all I know is like you just you all you can do is be you, be unique, and and try to enjoy what you're doing as best as you can, and uh, continue learning those sorts of things. That is the best possible place we could leave this conversation. I think. <laughs> Oh, Perk, where can everybody find you on the internet? Yeah, I think if you search Bonehouse, B-O-N-E-H-A-U-S, on most things, you'll find me. Or if you type in Kirk Wallace and then either put designer or illustrator at the end, you'll find me. Um, My website's uh, bone.house, B-O-N-E dot H-A-U-S. And then same thing with Instagram, uh, Dribble, Behance, places like that. If you ever need me in any way, however I can help. Like I've been doing this for five years now, full-time freelance and 10 years, you know, off and on. I let me help. Like, however I can help, I, I would certainly like to do my best. So feel free to reach out. Don't be shy, break down barriers, all that sort of stuff. And I'm always available. All right, Kirk. It was great to see you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. And that's it for this week's beautiful, shiny, and delightful episode of Dribble Overtime. Um, if you have a moment, please hop into Apple Podcasts and rate this podcast because it really helps a lot. It truly does. Can you tell that I'm tearing up? I have a I have a poor fake audio cry, don't I? I'm not crying, I promise you. And if you have a moment, follow me on the internet too. I'm at your buddy Meg or MegLewis.com and find out more about me. Okay, bye. Hear me next week. 